when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord James. Stately, plump, buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Carter Bays. Skin the Goat, assuming he was he, evidently with an axe to grind, was airing his grievances in a forcible, feeble philippic anent the natural resources of Ireland, or something of that sort, which he described in his lengthy dissertation as the richest country bar none on the face of God's earth, far and away superior to England, with coal in large quantities, six million pounds worth of pork exported every year, ten millions between butter and eggs, and all the riches drained out of it by England levying taxes on the poor people that paid through the nose always, and gobbling up the best meat in the market, and a lot more surplus steam in the same vein. Their conversation accordingly became general, and all agreed that that was a fact. You could grow any mortal thing in Irish soil, he stated, and there was Colonel Everard down there in Caven, growing tobacco. Where would you find anywhere the like of Irish bacon? But a day of reckoning, he stated, crescendo, with no uncertain voice, thoroughly monopolizing all the conversation, was in store for mighty England, despite her power of pelf on account of her crimes. There would be a fall, and the greatest fall in history. The Germans and the Japanese were going to have their little lookin', he affirmed. The Boers were the beginning of the end. Brummagem England was toppling already, and her downfall would be Ireland, her Achilles' heel. Which, he explained to them about the vulnerable point of Achilles, the Greek hero, a point his auditors at once seized as he completely gripped their attention by showing the tendon referred to on his boot. His advice to every Irishman was, stay in the land of your birth and work for Ireland, and live for Ireland. Ireland, Parnell said, could not spare a single one of her sons. Silence all round marked the termination of his finale. The impervious navigator heard these lurid tidings undismayed. "'Take a bit of doing, boss,' retaliated that rough diamond, palpably a bit peeved in response to the foregoing truism. To which cold douche, referring to downfall and so on, the keeper concurred but nevertheless held to his main view. "'Who's the best troops in the army?' the grizzled old veteran irately interrogated. "'And the best jumpers and racers?' And the best admirals and generals we've got, tell me that. The Irish for choice, retorted the cabbie, like Campbell, facial blemishes apart. That's right, the old tarpaulin corroborated. The Irish Catholic peasant. He's the backbone of our empire. You know Jem Mullins? While allowing him his individual opinions, as every man, the keeper added he cared nothing for any empire, ours or his, and considered no Irishman worthy of his salt that served it. Then they began to have a few irascible words when it waxed hotter, both, needless to say, appealing to the listeners who followed the passage of arms with interest so long as they didn't indulge in recriminations and come to blows. From inside information extending over a series of years, Mr. Bloom was rather inclined to poo-poo the suggestion as egregious balderdash, for, pending that consummation devoutly to be or not to be wished for, he was fully cognizant of the fact that their neighbors across the channel unless they were much bigger fools than he took them for, rather concealed their strength than the opposite. 
it was quite on par with the quixotic idea in certain quarters that in a hundred million years the coal seam of the sister island would be played out. And if, as time went on, that turned out to be how the cat jumped, all he could personally say on the matter was that as a host of contingencies equally relevant to the issue might occur ere then, it was highly advisable in the interim to try to make the most of both countries, even though poles apart. Another little interesting point, the amours of whores and chummies, to put it in common parlance, reminded him Irish soldiers had as often fought for England as against her. More so, in fact. And now why? So the scene between the pair of them, the licensee of the place, rumored to be or have been Fitzharris, the famous invincible, and the other, obviously bogus, reminded him forcibly as being on all fours with the confidence trick. Supposing, that is, it was prearranged, as the looker-on, a student of the human soul, if anything, the others seeing least of the game. And as for the lessee or keeper, who probably wasn't the other person at all, he, Bloom, couldn't help feeling, and most properly, it was better to give people like that the goby unless you were a blithering idiot altogether, and refuse to have anything to do with them as a golden rule in private life, and their felon setting. There always being the off chance of a Danny man coming forward and turning Queen's evidence, or King's now, like Dennis or Peter Carey, an idea he utterly repudiated. Quite apart from that, he disliked those careers of wrongdoing and crime on principle. Yet, though such criminal propensities had never been an inmate of his bosom in any shape or form, he certainly did feel, and no denying it, while inwardly remaining what he was, a certain kind of admiration for a man who had actually brandished a knife, cold steel, with the courage of his political convictions, though personally he would never be a party to any such thing, off the same bat as those love vendettas of the South. Have her or swing for her, when the husband frequently, after some words passed between the two concerning their relations with the other lucky mortal, the man having had the pair watched, inflicted fatal injuries on his adored one as a result of an alternative post-nuptial liaison by plunging his knife into her until it just struck him that Fitz, nicknamed Skin the Goat, merely drove the car for the actual perpetrators of the outrage and was not, if he was reliably informed, actually party to the ambush, which, in point of fact, was the plea some legal luminary saved his skin on. In any case, that was very ancient history by now, and as for our friend, the pseudo-skin-the- etc., he had transparently outlived his welcome. He ought to have either died naturally or on the scaffold high. Like actresses, always farewell, positively last performance, then come up smiling again. Generous to a fault, of course, temperamental, no economizing or any idea of the sort, always snapping at the bone for the shadow. So similarly, he had a very shrewd suspicion that Mr. Johnny Lever got rid of some LSD in the course of his perambulations around the docks and the congenial atmosphere of the old Ireland tavern, come back to Erin, and so on. Then as for the others, he had heard not so long before the same identical lingo, as he told Stephen how he simply but effectually silenced the offender. He took umbrage at something or other, that much injured but on the whole even-tempered person declared, I let slip. He called me a Jew, in a heated fashion, offensively. So I, without deviating from plain facts in the least, told him his God, I mean Christ, was a Jew too. And all his family, like me, though in reality I'm not. That was one for him. A soft answer turns away wrath. He hadn't a word to say for himself, as everyone saw. Am I not right? 
He turned a long, you-are-wrong gaze on Stephen, of timorous dark pride at the soft impeachment, with a glance also of entreaty, for he seemed to glean in a kind of way that it wasn't all exactly... Exquibus, Stephen mumbled in a non-committal accent, their two or four eyes conversing. Christus, or Bloom, his name is, or after all, any other secundum carnum. Uh, of course, Mr. Bloom proceeded to stipulate, you must look at both sides of the question. It, it is hard to lay down any hard and fast rules as to right and wrong, but room for improvement all round. There certainly is, though every country, they say, our own distressful included, has the government it deserves, but with a little goodwill all round. It's all very fine to boast of mutual superiority, but what about mutual equality? I resent violence or intolerance in any shape or form. It never reaches anything or stops anything. A revolution must come on the due installments plan. It's a patent absurdity on the face of it to hate people because they live round the corner and speak another vernacular, so to speak. Memorable bloody bridge battle in seven minutes war, Stephen assented, between Skinner's Alley and Norman Market. Yes! Mr. Bloom thoroughly agreed, entirely endorsing the remark that was overwhelmingly right, and the whole world was overwhelmingly full of that sort of thing. You just took the words out of my mouth, he said, a hocus-pocus of conflicting evidence that, candidly, you couldn't remotely... All those wretched quarrels, in his humble opinion, stirring up bad blood, bump of combativeness or gland of some kind, erroneously supposed to be about a punctilio of honor and a flag were very largely a question of the money question, which was at the back of everything. Greed and jealousy, people never knowing when to stop. They accuse, remarked he audibly, he turned away from the others who probably, and spoke nearer to, so as the others, in case they, Jews, he softly imparted in an aside in Stephen's ear, are accused of ruining. Not a vestige of truth in it, I can safely say. History, would you be surprised to learn, proves up to the hilt. Spain decayed when the Inquisition hounded the Jews out. And England prospered when Cromwell, an uncommonly able ruffian who in other respects has much to answer for, imported them. Why? Because they are practical and proved to be so. I don't want to indulge in any... Because... You know the standard works on the subject, and then orthodox as you are, but in the economic, not touching religion domain, the priest spells poverty. Spain, again, you saw in the war, compared with go-ahead America? Turks, it's in the dogma, because if they didn't believe they'd go straight to heaven when they die, they'd try to live better, at least so I think. That's the juggle on which the PPs raise the wind on false pretenses. I'm, he resumed with dramatic force, as good an Irishman as that rude person I told you about at the outset. And I want to see everyone, concluded he, all creeds and classes, pro rata, having a comfortable, tidy-sized income, in no stingy fashion either, something in the neighborhood of 300 pounds per annum. That's the vital issue at stake, and it's feasible, and would be provocative of friendlier intercourse between man and man. At least that's my idea for what it's worth. I call that patriotism. Ubi patria, as we learned a small smattering of in our classical day in Alma Mater, Vita Bene. Where you can live well, the sense is, if you work. 
over his untastable apology for a cup of coffee. Listening to this synopsis of things in general, Stephen stared at nothing in particular. He could hear, of course, all kinds of words changing color like those crabs about ring's end in the morning, burrowing quickly into all colors of different sorts of the same sand where they had a home somewhere beneath or seemed to. Then he looked up and saw the eyes that said or didn't say the words, the voice he heard said, If you work. Count me out, he managed to remark, meaning to work. The eyes were surprised at this observation because as he, the person who owned them, pro tem, observed, or rather his voice speaking did, all must work have to, together. I mean, of course, the other hastened to affirm, work in the widest possible sense. Also, literary labor, not merely for the kudos of the thing. Writing for the newspapers, which is the readiest channel nowadays, that's work too. Important work. After all, from the little I know of you, after all the money expended on your education, you are entitled to recoup yourself and command your price. You have every bit as much right to live by your pen in pursuit of your philosophy as the peasant has. What? You both belong to Ireland, the brain and the brawn. Each is equally important. You suspect, Stephen retorted with a sort of a half laugh, that I may be important because I belong to the Faubourg Saint Patrice, called Ireland for short? I would go a step farther, Mr. Bloom insinuated. But I suspect, Stephen interrupted, that Ireland must be important, because it belongs to me. What belongs? queried Mr. Bloom, bending, fancying he was perhaps under some misapprehension. Excuse me, unfortunately, I, I didn't catch the latter portion. What was it you... Stephen patently cross-tempered, repeated and shoved aside his mug of coffee, or whatever you like to call it, none too politely, adding, We can't change the country. Let us change the subject. 